Welcome to another episode of Kaiju Transmissions. I'm your host, Matt Parmley, and I'm joined by... Uh, I am Kyle Bird, the uh, other today, half. Yeah, there we go. And, and today we have a very special episode of Kaiju Transmissions because we are talking about Kaiju Masterclass 2. And uh, we are joined by the pretty much everybody, well, with a few exceptions, uh, from the organizational group. We have Steve Rifle. Uh, we have Amanda Whalen and Kevin Derendorf. We have Ed Gotchashevsky, we have Eric Homnick, and we have Patrick, is it Galvan or Galvin? I always butcher your name, Patrick, so. <laughs> I, think it's te- I think it's technically pronounced Galvan because it's Spanish, but I, I've used Galvin my entire life, so I don't really care. Patrick Galvin, there we go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to talk about Kaiju Masterclass 2, what you can look forward to and the different panels we're going to be guesting on. Um, but if I can selfishly go first, I know that when I kind of joined <laughs> last year during Kaiju Masterclass, the first one, the thing that excited me the most is just being able to talk to the people that made, produced, wrote, composed scores for uh, all the different films. And for us to be able to, to do that again for a second year in a row, I'm just really excited about. Um, I'm really looking forward to doing a panel with Tom Kitagawa, who played Godzilla. We have a really awesome lineup this year. And so, Steve, I want to pivot to you. I just wanted you to talk about what things you're working on with Kaiju Masterclass and what you might be most excited for. Well, I'm excited to do it again. Uh, we had a, a really uh, great program last year that I think exceeded all of our own expectations and hopefully uh, you know, the audience's expectations. And this year, uh, we're kind of just, uh, I think, taking it up a notch, taking it to the next level in that uh, we have another stellar lineup of guests, including even more guests from Japan than we did last year. And I think our presentation has improved uh, a bit as well. Uh, having one of these things under our belt certainly helps. So I'm super excited to uh, have been you know, involved in putting this together. And then we have all these, everybody will be talking about the different panels that, they, that they're appearing on. Um, uh, if I wanna, if you want me to jump straight into that, I can say that uh, Patrick Galvin and I uh, have a great interview with Kazuki Omori, the film director, behind uh, Godzilla vs. Biollante and Godzilla vs. King Ghidra, as well as a whole other side of his career that we had an opportunity to to speak with him about. Uh, and uh, we're also, the two of us, going to be interviewing uh, the film critic for the Japan. We, we've really kind of like branched out, I think, a little bit this year. Uh, we have someone like Mark Schilling uh, on the guest list, mm-hmm. the roster this time. Uh, and Mark Schilling isn't maybe the most obvious person, and some of the audience may not even be familiar with him, but he's a really uh, interesting uh, 
film critic and author, film historian. Uh, he's been writing and uh, for the Japan Times and covering the Japanese film industry since the 1980s. And he has a really close knowledge of how the industry has evolved and changed over that time. And that includes periods that we're interested in talking about that uh, cover things like the Heisei and the Millennium Series. So we'll be getting into... Uh, you know, how the climate of, you know, just filmmaking has changed and, and, and why that certainly influenced, you know, how these films that we're interested in have changed over that time. We have um, Linda Haynes. I'm involved in that uh, presentation as well. Linda Haynes is someone who's really familiar to, I think, a lot of people who have attended conventions and listened to your podcast as well. Uh, Linda, of course, starred in Latitude Zero and uh, she's just a really great person to talk to because she has a great story of her experience working on that film. But she also had this really interesting career at this kind of pivotal time in Hollywood. She came up just as Hollywood was really going through these kind of interesting changes in the late 60s, early 70s. And she appeared in a number of really interesting kind of indie-ish sort of movies at the time um, and studio pictures. She was in things like Brubaker with Robert Redford and The Drowning Pool with Paul Newman. And so she has a, a wide range of experience, but all kind of goes back to Latitude Zero. That was like this thing that she was thrust into as I think a 19-year-old woman uh, in Tokyo working at Toho with people like Ishiro Honda and Joseph Cotton and uh, Cesar Romero. It's just a really interesting story. Um so, uh, so yeah, we have a really wide-ranging group of, of guests this year that I, th I, I won't spoil everybody else. I, I won't put out spoilers because everybody has some interesting, uh, you know, uh, segments that they're involved in that they want to talk about. But I'll just say that, um, you know, COVID kind of made this possible last year. Uh, you know, we kind of stepped into the breach, I think, because G-Fest and things like that weren't able to happen. And our philosophy or mission from the beginning was to be a little different anyway. It wasn't just to try to replace GFS, which is not replaceable anyway, because it's a unique experience. It was really kind of to, to, since we're able to capitalize on things like Zoom and the proliferation of all these online uh, meetings and, and presentations, it enables us to go a little bit deeper than maybe something like a GFest, where you have to really appeal to a in, in order to justify, you know, bringing people over from Japan and all the expense and, and organization that that entails, you really have to bring people over. And like in the past, people like Nakajima and, you know, people of a broad appeal who are going to bring a, a big audience. In our case, we can be a little bit more um, niche. We can have people like a, a few Fuyuki Shinada or last year, uh, someone like... Um, uh, um, uh, we had, you know, uh, Shinji Higuchi, for instance, but it wasn't just a, 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 a short talk on a podium. He was talking for almost three hours and getting really into the nitty gritty of, you know, the filmmaking process. And that's really, I think, what sets our event apart is we're able to dig a little deeper. We're able to bring in people who maybe aren't the head, you know, at a big convention that may maybe they're not the right guest for that because you need to have somebody with a really broad appeal and we can go, you know, maybe one step deeper and one step, you know, uh, several steps deeper in terms of the interview process and really find out what makes these people tick and what makes their work special. Yes. That's, that's all. Um, 
I, behind the scenes, I'm, I'm thinking like we're all staring at each other right now <laughs> and as we're as we're talking. But I, we've had so many different um, streamyard meetings, and and this takes just a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of meetings to put this together. But I think one of the cool things about this project is we're able to also reach out to guests and and be more accommodating to their schedule. So thankfully, because of COVID and in light of COVID, we've been able to put all this together. Um, so Ed, I'm going to pick on you next. I know obviously you and Steve have wrote the issue of Honda biography together and you've authored a number of your own books. Um, but what are you contributing to Kaiju masterclass and what are you most excited about? <clears throat> well, uh, well I am... welcome, Ed. Yes. <laughs> welcome. You. Pleasure Thank to you. have you. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm really happy to be able to participate a little more in depth this year. Last year was, was a tough year for me to be able to, have some spare time, but uh, yeah, this year uh, I have uh, several things I'll, I'll be you know participating in. Uh, one is that I'm going to try and uh, present part two of my Making of Godzilla versus Bialante presentation from last year, which uh, ran significantly over time. So uh, hopefully, I can finish up uh, you know the presentation on that. People who had watched the first part can uh, find out how it all winds up. Uh, and uh, I'm really happy to be able to uh, conduct an interview with uh, my friend Fuki Shinada, a suit maker, uh, who's worked on uh, several Toho and Daiye productions. Uh, I got to know Shinada back in 1979 in my first visit to Japan, when he was before he was even involved in actual suit making. I, I got to meet him when visiting the studio, and, and even at that time uh you know with, with some of the things that he had you know shown me and, and made for me i could tell that you know he was going to be a talent in this industry and he's got lots of good stories to tell about you know from uh, the making of Bialante uh through the gamma series and up through gmk uh, and hope i think you'll find you know some very fascinating uh, bits of information that he has to offer insight into the process on you know how to make suits and and some of the uh, unusual considerations you have to take uh, when, you know, presenting this kind of, you know, when, when uh, taking on these kind of jobs. And also I uh, have an interview with my good friend, Norman England, who lives in Japan. Uh, many of you may know Norman from, you know, his various writings and online presence. Norman is uh, going to be publishing a book in November uh, about his year of uh, spending time on the set for GMK. He was involved from the very start to the very finish in, in, in depth in the production of GMK. Uh, so, you know, this book will cover all his observations of both uh, the production itself and the, the Japanese film industry and the people who make up that industry. Uh, it's a really fascinating and, and witty look at the the Japanese filmmaking process, and uh, he even gives a little uh, summary of his time uh, being able to do the thing that probably every one of us has always dreamed about. You know, he got to wear the Godzilla suit and experience that, and and try it out for like ten, fifteen minutes. Uh, so it's it's a real, and of course, if you know Norman, you know that he loves to talk, and he's got. Dozens and dozens of interesting stories, so uh, you're in for a real treat to hear Norman talk about the book and uh, hopefully get you uh, interested in, in, in reading this fascinating book. 
I believe his book is called uh, Behind the Kaiju Curtain, yes, correct? that is correct. So, Eric, I want to turn to you for a moment uh, and just kind of share about your involvement. And by extension, John DeSensis, who's not here with us tonight, I know you two are working on a number of different panels together. Yeah, I hope John doesn't mind if I uh, speak for the both of us this evening. But, yeah, I'm Eric, and um, with John DeSensis, you might say that we're part of the, uh, the musical wing of Kaiju Masterclass. We're definitely... I mean, of course, we're interested in all aspects of Kaiju Ega, but for the two of us, music in particular is something that we really enjoy talking about and learning about. And to that end, we've got some musically themed panels this year, as we did last year. Um, we have an interview with Reiko Yamada, who is a good friend of mine. And if you've been to G-Fest over the years, you may have seen her uh, at the last G-Fest in 2019. Uh, she performed a, uh, a two-piano concert with her colleague. Um, um, why am I blanking? Uh, um, Patrick Godin? Patrick Godin. Sorry, Patrick. Um, there's, there's too many Patricks. Uh, with with Patrick Godin, so he was uh, he was there, and uh, we also did a uh, panel. Actually, after that, with uh, Patrick Galvin was on that panel, and uh, so was Reiko. And uh, the panel was recorded and actually put on uh, Kaiju Transmissions. So if you'd like to hear that, you can you can go to Kaiju Transmissions and and look for that. John and I will also be doing a panel with a fellow called Makoto Inoue who is a pretty well-known musician in Japan. He is the, he's the founder, co-founder and performer of two famous uh, Japanese musical groups. One is called Inoyama Land, uh, which was uh, created in the late 70s, uh, kind of avant-garde uh, ambient music, they call it, and also another band called Hikashu. What Inoue has to do with kaiju music is that he produced uh, four uh, albums called uh, Godzilla Legend, which um, are electronic versions of all sorts of different kaiju music, everything from the music of Akira Ifukube to Masaru Sato, Yuji Koseki, and you've, you've probably heard these recordings somewhere. You know, I'm talking to the kaiju fans out there. You've probably heard these recordings at some point. He also uh, produced a pretty well-known album in 1986 called Ostinato, which was a re-recording of some of Ifukube's most famous uh, tokusatsu and kaiju ega themes. What's great about him is that he is just a big fan of kaiju music. He knows a lot about it. He spends a lot of time uh, with Akira Ifukube. He was present during the recording sessions of like Godzilla vs. Mothra 92, uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 93. So he has stories and insights from, from witnessing those. So he's, he's a really great conversation. I think you folks are going to enjoy that panel. And then our um, very special musical guest, I mean, they're all special, but uh, this is a big one. This is uh, Reijiro Kuroku, who is the composer of the music from Godzilla 84, The Return of Godzilla. Uh, iconic score, often ranks at the top. Whenever you ask people, what's your favorite Godzilla score? This is one that's always near the top, if not the top. It's a very, very iconic, popular score. And to our knowledge, Mr. Kuroku has never been interviewed on an English language platform. And even in Japan, he uh, apparently rarely gives interviews about his, his career and his score for this film. So we're very, very excited that Kaiju Masterclass will be, for the first time ever, as far as we know, the first ever 
platform outside of Japan where Mr. Kuroku will be talking about that score. So we're very excited to share that all of you with, with all of you. Thanks, Eric. Um, Patrick, I will turn to you now if you want to share a little bit about your involvement with Kaiju Masterclass and what panels you're appearing on. Sure. Um, well, as Steve mentioned at the top, uh, he and I are interviewing the writer and director Kazuki Omori, best known to kaiju fans for Godzilla vs. Biollante and Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. He also wrote the scripts for uh, Godzilla vs. Mothra 92 and Godzilla vs. Destroya. Um, I think people will find that interview very fascinating because Omori himself is a very fascinating um, figure in the Godzilla franchise in that he was the first uh, Godzilla director who was not a uh, Toho employee. He was a freelancer. He was an outsider. And he's got a very interesting background. He's a film director who has a degree in medicine. And how that came about is kind of an interesting story. Um, you know, he's, a direct, he's a director of, uh, who's, a, who's, got, who's just kind of, he's a little more fascinating than the, than the uh, shall we say, the company employee directors who sort of came after him in the Heisei era. And so Steve and I talked to him about his, uh, his background, about why he was interested in making Godzilla vs. Biollante. There's some stories behind that which might not be... Um, particularly well-known. Um, it was, yeah, it was just fascinating to, to talk to somebody who uh, had worked on this franchise, has a very interesting background in film production, and who also has seen, and who nowadays uh, teaches film production at uh, Osaka University of Arts. And so to hear him talk about the industry and what he's observed in his industry over the decades is, uh, I think it's going to be a very fascinating uh, panel. And I think Godzilla fans will find it very, very enjoyable. As Steve mentioned, I'm also uh, joining him for an interview with uh, the Japan, Time, uh, Japan Times uh, film critic, Mark Schilling, who's also written a number of very wonderful books about um, Japanese cinema, including a book that came out from, oddly enough, the same publisher that published uh, Norman's book, uh, Awai Books. Uh, Mark published a book about called uh, Art, Cult, and Commerce, which covers uh, basically what he's observed in the Japanese film industry over the last 20 years since the... Uh, since the since the century began, uh, yeah, and you know, Mark's a very good writer, very knowledgeable, and he's covered the industry for a living for his career. So, so to have a guest like him on, I think, kind of broadens Kaiju Masterclass's appeal. And that is, it's yeah, it's primarily Kaiju centric, but it's also for people who just like Japanese movies and Japanese film history. And you know, I think a guest like him just kind of like you know broadens the value of a convention like what we're putting on. Um, those are the two convention, the two uh, panels that I am personally involved with uh, this year. Thanks, Patrick. Um, one thing I think is really important to talk about is this: none of this happens if we don't have someone to translate communication between us and the Japanese guests, and then also doing on the spot in real time interpreting. And so we have uh, Amanda Whalen with us tonight, and also. Uh, we have Mariko, who's not with us tonight, but is a big part of what Kaiju Masterclass does, because, again, none of this is even possible without their involvement. So first, thank you both for just pitching in, for joining this group, for making this happen. Um, and Amanda, for you, I've just, I'm really curious what the experience has been like for you so far. Can you talk to us about um, what you've been able to do for Kaiju Masterclass? Sure. So uh, this is my second year being a part of Kaiju Masterclass. I um, I had an opportunity to interpret for one interview last year um, with the composer Michiru Oshima, which was a really great experience. I really enjoyed that. Um, so uh, this time around, um, they gave me a little bit more of a workload. Um, 
So, <laughs> <laughs> so this time I hope a little bit more with uh, contacting the guests and sort of, you know, uh, scheduling. And um, I in, am interpreting for three three guests: um, Tomu, Tom Kitagawa, the suit actor, um, the musician uh, Makoto Inoue, and the composer Reijiro Kawaguchi. Um, I'm sorry, you wanted to know about like the the process or what was your question exactly? Yeah, like I'm 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 really curious how um well let me ask you this question. You lived in Japan for a number of years. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about your experience there and then how that kind of translates into to being a part of Kaiju Masterclass. Sure. So I um I lived in Japan for three years. Um I originally I I did a bachelor's degree in Japanese. Um and then after I finished that I decided that I wanted to try to pass the JLPT N1, essentially, which is, that stands for Japanese Language Proficiency Test, and it's, the N1 is the hardest level. Um, But yeah, anyways, I figured the best way to do that was to move to Japan, go to language school, try to get as much immersive experience as possible. Um, So when I first moved there, I was on a student visa, um, I moved to Aichi Prefecture, um, which uh, I guess most people would have heard of Nagoya, maybe, if they've heard of anything in Aichi Prefecture. That's the prefecture that Nagoya is in. Um, but I was, like, in a small town um, about 40 minutes south of there by train. Um, and the reason I picked that location was because I basically just wanted to, like, sit in my tiny student assigned dorm and study the entire time and i didn't want to like be in tokyo and be like oh i want to go to akihabara and then like never pass my test um so (laughs) but yeah i did one year there which was great um i my japanese was the best it's ever been at that point in my life and that it's all been downhill from there uh (laughs) um but yeah uh if anyone's curious i was studying at the yamasa institute in okazaki um, which was super fun. Really enjoyed it. Um, and I did pass the JLPT N1. Um, and that was back in t- 2017, just like the summer exam. Um, and then after that, I decided I would look for a job in Japan, which is an experience. Um, <laughs> so they say that, like, as long as you have the the JLPT N2, which is like one level lower, that you're like employable. But I don't know. I, I went to a lot of interviews and it was like really grueling. Um, but I mean, maybe that's partially my fault for applying to companies that were like kind of a reach. But eventually uh, I found a job working for a printing company in Osaka in the translation department. So I worked there for two years. Um, and learned lots and lots and lots of stuff about the translation industry. Um, had a great team of coworkers that I adore and am still in contact with. And I gained like a real appreciation for Osaka and truly believe it is superior to Tokyo in almost every way. (laughs) Yes. So one of the, (laughs) one of the things, uh, that I think maybe underappreciated is I know when Bird and I were doing our interview with Tom Kitagawa, we went off script a couple of times because he gave some answers and it kind of jogged our memory about asking other questions. And so how was that when you have to interpret those things in real time without prep? Because our our process at Kaiju Masterclass is we try to have the questions prepared ahead of time for the guests, but we also allow ourselves the flexibility to go off script if we think there could be 
a better question to ask. And so what was that like on your end? Because I we haven't talked about this, so I'm kind of curious what your feedback would be like. Sure. So I'll give you like the the stipulation that like this is just like my personal opinion because I consider myself a little bit more of a translator, like translating like written content rather than like a professional interpreter. Um, so this experience has been really good for me, actually. It's great, great practice for me. Um, but there are maybe, you know, there people who do this all the time probably have like a more rigid process. But um you know, essentially, I do I do research the people that we're going to interview ahead of time. Um, so, like, for Stoma Kitagawa, like, I read his whole Wikipedia page in Japanese and, like, took notes on it and was, like, trying to figure out, like, what he'd been in and who he'd been in it with. And then there's, like, this whole section, actually, on his page about, like, cool anecdotes. And I'm, like, super glad that I read that because otherwise I would have... Problems would have happened. <laughs> um, um, and then uh, I listened to uh, interviews that he'd done previously. Um, Kevin found one for me that uh, Kyle Yant over at um, KaijuCast had done a while back. I think that was at um, Monster Palooza. I think so. Is that right? Yeah. So I listened to that while I was cooking. And that helps a lot with kind of like preparing me because it's like kind of like knew like the cadence of how he talks and like what kind of answers he gives to things and so i felt like the best way to be prepared is to like know as much about his life as possible so i kind of already know what he might say in response to your questions um but yeah for the for the spontaneous ones you know um it, it wasn't too bad um you know because everything was kind of just like about the same kind of topics even if i didn't know like the exact question was able to like type out exactly how to say that in Japanese ahead of time. You know, it was, it was pretty all right. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it was going okay for you then. Um, I want to go back to, to Ed for a second because I think uh, he was like, Mariko, Mariko couldn't be with us tonight, but Ed said that he can maybe share some anecdotes about how yeah. the process worked for her. Yeah, well, <clears throat> and I think one of the things that uh, – she'd like to, you know, make some of the, you know, the audience members aware of is, you know, the, the, the translation that she's able to offer on these things. Well, first of all, let me, let me just uh, say a little bit about her. Uh, she was uh, born in Japan, raised there, uh, moved to the United States when she was, I think a 17 or 18. So, you know, she's a natural Japanese speaker and it's a, it's always funny to hear that you know when she was in school she always said that the the one subject that she hated more than anything else was english <laughs> and uh so it's really kind of funny to think you know here we are so many years later and and she's at, she's you know over time she's taught english to japanese housewives here and she's done a lot of translation work for myself and you know some of the projects that i've worked on with steve uh, so she's got a lot of experience in, in, you know, re especially reading texts related to, uh, this subject and also in, in, uh, doing interviews. She did uh, a number of the interviews that we conducted for the documentary film that Steve and I, uh, wrote and produced and for the Honda book. But anyway, you know, the, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, to keep in mind is that, uh, you know, the interpreter sometimes has to do more than just try to literally translate 
what the guest is saying. Uh, each guest, especially depending on their age, uh, has a little different style of speaking. And as she's explained to me, sometimes, you know, she'll, she'll uh, run into some trouble and some hesitation in translating. And uh, it's not really a matter that, you know, she doesn't have an idea how to translate. It's that, uh, especially when you're speaking with, uh, you know, some of the guests who are a little more up in years, their style of speaking is drastically different than younger people. And, and they often speak in incomplete sentences. And that, you know, especially presents her a bit of a, uh, throws her a curveball because, you know, in order to translate it well to the audience here, she's got to, you know, fill in some of the blanks. And, you know, it's not something that necessarily you can spend a lot of time going back and forth with the guest on to, uh, really you know, understand because you know the the whole form of the language is much different. Uh, so when you hear some of those pauses, uh, sometimes it's because the translator has got to fill in the blanks, uh, and you know it's it's <laughs> because she's not a professional translator. Uh, you know it, it's something that that does take a little bit of time, and you know a little bit of uh, talent to try and do. And uh, it, that, that is one of the challenging aspects of trying to do the interviews with the guests. And of course, there's also, from time to time, there's uh, you know, a lot of technical terms, especially in, you know, when it comes to music, I, I mean, excuse me, it, when it comes to movie making and special effects, uh, a lot of terminology that is just not common language that uh, she may need some, uh, some help in interpreting I mean, you know, she and I have worked on these things for a long time, so she's now gotten uh, a, a lot more familiar with some of the terminology that's used in, in uh, the special effects uh, film world. That's helped quite a bit. And, you know, a lot of times I, I, I hope, you know, usually when she's doing the uh, translation of interviews, I'll usually be sitting off camera just to the side of her so that uh, just kind of like as a little moral support and in case she runs into an issue and trying to understand a particular term uh hopefully i can uh you know help you know help jump in and and help her out with that so that that's some of the some of the uh, challenges that the you know as interpreters that uh you know at least i know she's she's faced and and uh i thought maybe that's something that our audience uh uh, should be aware of and, and maybe help them to appreciate more what what really goes on in the in the translation process. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Ed. Um, I, I know that that's it's so much work, and we're so honestly very appreciative of, of both Mariko and Amanda because again, this doesn't Kaiju Masterclass doesn't come happen doesn't come together without their involvement. So again, thank you both. Um, Kevin, so this year we are also joined by Kevin Derendorf. He was uh, did a panel for us last year as well. Listeners of our show, Kevin comes on quite often. Uh, usually if we get something wrong on our podcast, Kevin's sending us an angry message like, oh, you forgot this, and he's giving us notes behind the scenes. Um, but really glad to have Kevin back as Kaiju Ma uh, part of Kaiju Masterclass 2 this year. Kevin, tell us about your panel. Hey, uh, so uh, this year it's, it's a little different from my usual rundown of a bunch of different titles and this time around i'm going to talk about different people and different companies and this is all uh the the descendants in the show business industry of eiji tsuburaya so 
people know all about the god of special effects himself, but he had three talented children who all went into showbiz and did things both with Super Eye Productions and uh, elsewise. And uh, also, each one of those three kids had their own kids who went into show business. And you've got uh, musicians and actors and special effects people and producers and uh, a, a whole wide array. Uh, and then with that, you've also got all of these different companies that sort of have sp- sprung up, you know. And sometimes people will kind of be like, well, what's the what's the difference between Subaraya Productions and Subaraya Enterprises and Subaraya Entertainment and Subaraya Azo and Subaraya Dream Factory? And that's what the panel is hoping to address and uh, hope it uh, all becomes clear by the end of that. Uh, and then uh, also I'm going to be on a uh, panel where we're going to be talking about the 60th anniversary of Gorgo, uh, which is... Uh, believe it or not, actually a kaiju uh, movie. So we can uh, we can argue for that uh, because that's one of those topics that sometimes gets contentious among the fandom. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. So that one will be uh, you, myself, John LeMay, and of course Kyle Bird. Which actually, thank you for sharing, Kevin. We're going to now pivot to to Bird. Uh, why don't you oh. tell us about the different panels? And uh, <laughs> I did not forget about you, believe it or not. Okay. So. <laughs> um all right well yeah no it's it's good to be doing this again um it's uh it's been a great opportunity this year and last year um so uh i'm uh i'm stuck with matt for a handful of of panels um and uh so piggybacking off what kevin mentioned uh we have the gorgo one with john lemay and um uh, I think one of the cool things that we're going to get to talk about is Gorgo's, um, uh, I guess, Genesis is a Japanese co-production. Um, and uh, um, we'll be having John share, you know, what some of the differences in the, the different drafts of the script were, um, some concept art from uh, when it was still um, uh, a Japanese uh, co-production. And uh, so that'll be cool. Um Matt and I will be interviewing, um, well, as been mentioned a couple times, um, we interviewed Tom Kitagawa, which um, I think I think turned out really good. We kind of did a deep dive into his whole career. <clears throat> um, also, uh, we will be um, talking to Tiffany Grant, who uh, Matt and I had on our podcast. Uh, well, I guess technically this is that podcast, but we had her on the podcast a couple months ago and um, it was a really good interview. She only had about a half hour, but we have a full hour with her this time. And um, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be able to dive uh, into uh, more of her creative process and um, just the, the whole dubbing industry. Um Matt and I will also be interviewing uh, William Stout, who, uh, for people who may may not know, um, he's an artist. He's well known for um, a lot of paleo art, um, dinosaur art, um, but also working in Hollywood um, as a creature designer and concept artist. Um, I mean, he's worked on The Mist, Pan's Labyrinth, uh, the, the Hitcher, First Blood, um, Conan the Barbarian, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, but um also he um 
did the uh, uh, a lot of uh, storyboards and um, designs for the 1980s American Godzilla movie that didn't get made, which was Steve Miner's Godzilla 3D. Um, so we'll get to talk to him about that. He also wrote an episode of the um, the 1998 uh, Godzilla animated series. Um, so uh, that's another thing to look forward to. Um, and uh, I think I'm pretty sure that's all I'm doing. <laughs> um, Matt, you have a uh, you you have one that you're wor- working on that you haven't mentioned yet. I don't know if you want to. Yeah, so, uh, so there's there's two guests we haven't I don't think talked about much. Uh, one is Mike Vogue, who um, he's going to be doing a panel on Apocalypse Then American and Japanese Atomic Cinema, which is also the title of his book. Um, and I'm really excited to to partner with him on that. And then we haven't t- talked much about him yet, but uh, Jasper Sharp, of course, producer for Arrow Films, will be joining us, which is going to be really interesting. Um, and and Arrow has been killing the kaiju releases lately so you have oh yeah then you have um warning from space a bunch of others gamera of course the, the yokai set just came out too yep. so 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 a lot of really awesome aero stuff to, to dive into um and again if I, if I can speak just about kaiju masterclass for a brief minute one of the things that i love about what we're doing as a group is you think about all the different um people that we've lost over the past few years and i think of like sunny chiba who recently passed but there's like a through line of Sonny Chiba directly to Tom Kitagawa through the Japan, uh, the Japan Action Club. And we're not getting any younger. And so one of the things I love about what we're doing is we're able to talk to the people that made, produced, and put all these movies together and learn from them. Because the reality is like Tokusatsu has changed dramatically and it's become ever-reliant, especially, you know, CG being what it is. Um, and the craft itself is more or less going away. You have Ultraman, you have some small shows that are still being made, but even those are becoming heavily reliant on CG. And so, and I'm not saying that's good or bad, but what I am saying is the people that made the films that we grew up with, well, they're the ones that are going to be able to tell us how they did it and what their thought process was and why it's different compared to now. And I'm just really, really excited to learn as much as I can as, as part of this whole thing. And so thank you to the team and to the group. And as we're kind of closing out, does anybody have any additional comments they want to add? I will take the radio silence. <laughs> they, uh... <laughs> Steve, you're talking, but I, I yeah, there you yeah. go. No, just kind of picking up on what you said earlier about, uh, I mean, we don't have a staff. We This is like a volunteer uh, grassroots kind of project that we all put together together. And uh, it goes all the way from, you know, we were talking about translation a lot. Well, one of the things that's invisible behind the scenes is all the work that our translators have done, not only to translate those interviews as they are taking place, but all the prep work and all the, the uh, organizational work to even make that interview happen. You know, that's a, a lot of, of um, and that includes not only reaching out to the individual guests and, and, and inviting them and, and requesting their participation, but also, you know, translating questions in advance and making sure everything is coordinated in such a way that it all runs smoothly. So everybody here tonight, as well as John, who's not here with us, and Marco is not here with us, deserves like a huge um, thank you. We, we I mean, we're thinking ourselves but but it really is like an amazing thing that i think we've been able to kind of put together not that we want to you know pat ourselves on the back too much but um this has um been really 
rewarding. I think it's really informative. The stuff that we're creating is going to exist, hopefully, in perpetuity, as long as YouTube exists before you know the Internet blows up. Uh, we'll have this content out there for people to hopefully enjoy and learn from uh, you know, for a long period of time. And this is something I think all of us hope that we can continue to do. Yeah. So, um, you know, there, there are other, and the more we do this, the more ideas we have for other people we'd like to talk to and learn from. And um, so uh, we appreciate everybody out there who tunes in. It's the weekend of November 5 through 7. Uh, our website is kaijumasterclass.com. We're also on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. So, uh, and there are other guests that may pop up between now and November 5th. So, uh, please kind of stay tuned for additional updates as to things where we've got kind of in the hopper. Um, we should also give a shout out to another new team member who's not here, uh, Matt Burkett. Oh, from, yes. Uh, Monstrosities on YouTube. He is, uh, uh, he became like an official part of our, uh, our, our group and he's been uh carrying a lot of the social media um uh angle this year um and kind of uh you know helping us you know partner with different outlets and stuff um so shout out to him as well and kyle gilmore who did all of our um social media the, all the graphics and our press kit and all that stuff i mean again those are things that i don't think any of us could have done if we wanted to and no we have two no. people that know what doing <laughs> and know how to put that together in a way that makes sense. Hey, there's one, one one thing, Matt, Matt and Kyle. There's one thing uh, we kind of kind of hinted at this during you know all of our talks, but I don't think we've stated explicitly one big difference between this year and last mm. year. Last year, everything was live, and this year, people might wonder. There, uh, some of the interviews are pre-recorded, especially the things that we're doing with folks in Japan. And maybe we should explain why we're doing that and what the advantage to doing that is. Yeah, we don't want people to think we're changing our clothes every uh, between every <laughs> pen. <laughs> we're we're sh- we're we're getting shaving our beards and getting haircuts and <laughs> it's like a share concert with all these costume changes. <laughs> no, but there's a there's an advantage to doing this. Uh, first of all, we're able now to not. Uh, ask our guests in Japan to get out of bed early. And, and you know, the, because of the time difference, there was a little bit of a challenge last year in coordinating times for everybody that worked on both sides of the Pacific Ocean. But uh, above and beyond that, having the ability to record that interview in advance allows us to do things like enhance the the presentation with images about the films and things we're talking about, and also to kind of trim out things. You know, the, we've talked about the translation process and the challenges of that and how, you know, there's there are sometimes pauses where things have to be clar- clarified or, or, you know, additional questions on the side have to be asked. We're able to kind of uh, edit those things out, the things that aren't necessary for the audience to to have to sit through. And so uh, we're hoping that this year the those interviews will kind of move along at a little bit of a brisker pace. Also, it means more Japanese guests. Yes, yeah, exactly. Instead of, you know, having to work having to just have one every night, you know, we can we can get more and get the interviews in the can and then just schedule them and that also works for the English language guests that we are doing live like if they have a certain time, you know, we can you know, we can move around more. Right. And it, but we, we should acknowledge, I mean, we've, we've, we 
tip our hats to the translators, Amanda and Mariko, because they've stepped up in such a big way because, <laughs> frankly, this change has allowed us to have more Japanese guests, which means more interpreting is needed. And uh, so thank you again for all the things you're doing to make this happen because, as Matt said, we can't do it without you. Yeah, and thank you for letting me be a part of it. Um, it's really exciting to to get to work with all of you guys, to uh, get to be part of these interviews or hearing some really insightful stuff from these guests, um, to get to work alongside someone like Mariko, who's uh, much more fluent than me. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I wanted to say, um, you were talking about uh, recording the interviews ahead of time and just speaking as one of the interpreters, that's been a really big help for me at least because interpreting is it's it's really mentally exhausting and being able to space them out and do maybe one one a week and then you've got all that time to prep you can do anything you want you can recover um and then do another one the next week like i cannot imagine what mariko was must have gone through last year to just keep doing them one after one after another oh my goodness i was useless after doing just like one interview it's like well i need to I don't know. She Lie said down her, her brain was on fire after <laughs> those three days. So, yeah, major major shout out to to Mariko. I'm just in awe of how hardworking and talented she is, and I look forward to seeing her interviews uh, again this year. And then there's Patrick behind the scenes. He he's uh, doesn't take credit for all the things that he does. And, and there's too many to mention, but one of the things he's doing is kind of uh, sprucing up our videos this year and making everything look nice. So uh, tip of the hat to Patrick as well. Yay, Patrick. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, listen, I just want to thank everybody for their time tonight. Uh, thanks to our listeners for checking this episode out. Support us, kaijumasterclass.com. November 5 through 7. And again, we may have some more surprises up our sleeve. You never know. So check out the website for frequent updates. And uh, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.